So, welcome back to the podcast. Um, today we are going to be discussing a at least a portion of a video that I haven't yet finished um at the time that I'm recording this. So, it was from 4 weeks ago. There was an episode of Living Lahaim that um Rabbi Manus Friedman was on there for the interview. Now, um, Living L'Chaim is a, a, um, Jewish YouTube channel that, um, it seems to be run by, like, kind of these yeshivish guys, um, and overall, you know, they get different, uh, Jewish people, to talk. I know the one coming today is going to be a musician who's going to be on there. I think he's been there before. Um but anyways, I just I was finding it interesting because um there were some really great ideas coming up in in the episode. So as you like so I'm going to go over those and You know, for those of you who have been here before on this podcast, you know that we talk about uh, different types of theoretical ideas, um, topics. Um, So, this one is going to be about money, religion, and let me see money, religion, and giving, um, so I feel like I have more food for thought type of questions than I have answers, um, so I can talk about just in general what religion teaches, um as far as I know, most major religions do teach about charity, um whether that's giving of time and uh like food or money or you know, resources or providing a resource like food banks, soup kitchens, um you know, free kind of medical type of care or, you know, free emotional or spiritual support, those types of things. Um, That's not uncommon to see in most major religions that people, you know, do have some form of giving um, that, you know, is required as part of expectations or worship um so yeah that's not too uncommon to come across to come across a person who is um taught through religious belief about charity and you know in mainstream society outside you know outside of religion and secular society 
you know, there's always, you know, taxes. I mean, everybody gets taxed. It doesn't matter if you're religious or what. Like, it's it's very rare that you're going to get an exemption completely unless you're on some kind of government-assisted money where you're... Honestly, if you're getting government assistance, you're probably not getting enough money in the first place. Let's be real. Um... At least the way I see it, I don't think that people who get government money get enough to comfortably live. Um, I mean, the average person who gets government money can't even qualify for a standard apartment. So, you know, if we're going from there, I mean, you're not even getting the cost of living um, unless you have some other programs you're, you're connected to. Uh, they give you vouchers and discounts and, you know, you're in some kind of a program that says because you can't work and because you have to have this money, you get a discounted rate, which is still expensive. Like, it's still not really free. But, yeah. So, basically, that's kind of what religions teach. Um, is, you know, about giving. I mean, this time of year, November, December, there is a huge consumer culture, a huge culture of, you know, giving as well, culture of charity as well. Um, So there were some ideas that came up in this video that I was kind of like, hmm, these are interesting ways of thinking. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't really like to get like, you know, like, too much talking on the Bible and and all that kind of stuff, too much, because some people maybe aren't really here to hear that, but um, just in general, you know, um, in the book of Malachi or Micah, I think it's Malachi, um, don't quote me on that, they talk about tithing, Uh, Jesus spoke about, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Um, as far as churches, I don't think I know any church that doesn't take tithes and offerings. Um, and I don't know of any, yeah, so I don't really know of any church that doesn't take tithes and offerings. Um, and... Yeah, there's tzedakah, which is like a form of giving uh, in Judaism. Now, what Rabbi Manus Friedman was saying is that he says he believes the average Jewish person gives about 20% of their income. Um, Now, I don't think that's even counting taxes. I think that's counting just charitable giving. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, and I don't know how much people give, uh, for, you know, tithing. There's always this, this debate, you know, like people know I grew up in a religious culture that was, you know, not unfamiliar with just debating about all kinds of stuff. Like, For example, if you're tithing, yes to 10%, and then 5% for giving, uh, just other charitable giving, so it's 15%. 
And is that gross? Um, so is that pre or post taxed income? Some people would give weekly, some people monthly. I mean, I don't really know. They don't go through the charity. Um, I've been part of a, a congregation before where I was told that, you know, there was somebody who was looking at the books and was kind of, uh, uh, maybe judgmental about it. And the person in charge was kind of like not okay with them, uh, making a, a judgmental comment about why didn't somebody give more or why can't somebody give more or something like that. Um, so the person in charge, uh, kind of made it so that individual was no longer, um, seeing what was happening with the money and that of course caused some kind of uh you know people getting upset with one another and hurt feelings and things but I mean you know it's it's always complicated you know money's a complicated thing now I'm not here to tell anybody what to do with their money um I can tell you my own experiences. Um, There wasn't that long ago, maybe before October, maybe sometime in September, I started feeling like, you know, I want to, I want to give like something in me was like, yeah, I think I want to, I want to tithe, you know, I want to give tithe um, to the church that I originally had, you know, uh, membership at. Um, so in my mind, I was like, I want to give tithe, you know, I don't know where that came from. I don't think about tithe. I'm not involved with, you know, any church on a regular basis where I would be tithing. But in my mind, I was like, you know, I, I, you know, just felt like compelled, you know, it wasn't, I don't think I'd been listening to any kind of church service or anything it just was an idea that I was like within the next 24 hours I'm gonna do this um and something happened the night I was gonna do it where I didn't actually do it and so I think I woke up the next day um and was gonna do it then I don't really fully recall this but I feel like it was the second night where I was like okay um, here we go. Let me get this done. And I would go in to the, to the, you know, um, you know, to the, you know, the website, like they had like an electronic tithing option where you could choose which church it was and put in all your financial details and pay by electronic check. So I set that all up. And, you know, I was, I don't know if I was praying about it. Maybe I was. I honestly can't remember. This was like a couple months back. And I remember I hit, you know, okay, I was like, this is a lot of money. Like, I don't really want to get rid of this. And I clicked the button and it was like an error message. Like, it didn't go through or whatever. So I tried a couple more times. I was like, well, maybe that doesn't work with the electronic check. Let me try this other way. Let me try that other way. And it didn't work. So I just left it alone. 
and I kind of had this idea come to me that was just like, yeah, like, uh, you know, you're thinking about your money a lot lately, which I am, you know, like I have, you know, definitely my budget days and things like that, uh, where I keep track of my finances and everything. And I'm pretty strict with, with my money. And, you know, it was just kind of this thought that was like, yeah, you're focused on your money, but you're not really focused on like all the aspects of it. Like there's something you're kind of missing here. And, you know, but the, the, the payment didn't go through. So, you know, I, I left it at that. I was like, okay, maybe it's just the thought to something just to pay attention to, you know? Um, so I just took it with a grain of salt kind of thing, like, okay. And then not long after, you know, I started getting these messages from the place where, you know, where this church is, um, where they started sending out messages that were like these prayer meetings once a week where I was kind of like, okay, like, I know, like, usually I, I, I subscribe to the messages where they have these like health classes. Cause I like that. So every Tuesday they do like a health class <clears throat> and then they'll send the zoom link or send like any kind of live stuff. And it's like a healthy, uh, some kind of healthy tips, uh, just kind of health related information, uh, which I like. It, sometimes it'll have doctors talking about certain types of food plans or certain types of exercise or whatever like it's professionals talking about health and somebody researches it out and creates like a plan and sends out this message every week and I like that one and they also send out a message about the church service which I kind of ignore that one and um so those are regular ones that I was get, I've been getting those for like years but then all of a sudden sometime after this uh time this like strange online tithing experience I got a message uh I started getting messages about these prayer meetings they were having and I was like okay like whatever like prayer meetings I don't really want to go I don't plan on attending any of them but I was like yeah they have them on zoom they're online so like maybe I'll tune in on occasion I'm like I don't really want to be on there I don't really want to go um you know so you know how it is you see the you see the subject line and you're just like I'm not gonna read the email so you know every time I would go through to clean out my emails I would just clean those out and keep the health ones and just clean out all those as well as the other junk mail that I would get and then one day I just kind of read the the message uh I was like, okay, so I, I clicked it and like actually read it. I think I was sitting like watching a hockey game and it was like a commercial break or something. And I'm like, okay, I hate commercials. So I usually turn the sound off. And then, you know, I was just going through my emails, saw that one, clicked it, checked it. And it was something along the lines of how much the church needs money. Like they're in a pretty uh, not so good position. And I was kind of like, huh, like as much as I don't pay attention, um, the sequence of those types of events is like, I'm just mentioning it just because it's an interesting sequence of things that I'm just kind of like, okay, like, you know, I was kind of feeling some kind of way about tithing, tried to do it, it didn't work, started paying a little more attention to it, 
not that I was doing it, but started paying a little bit more attention to giving. I because I remember it was near the time of um, I know it was near September because they usually have that Chabad Chabadathon where they have the giving uh, every year. They do this and it's usually televised. And they have this, uh, it's like a concert where there's uh, people in the audience and then there's people online. And it's like a 24-hour period where there's people answering phones and there's people online giving. And it, I mean, if you if you guys don't know <clears throat> about Chabad, about uh, the, the Lubavitch um, and Chabad, um, you know... I I don't I don't know from a religious perspective what I really think or feel, but I mean I I'm just saying I don't know because I I'm not Chabad so I don't know I know some people who are Chabad but I'm not um, I've never had any problems with anybody who was, um, but I like what I know about their charitable you know they do a lot in communities and oftentimes you know um people who are Chabad or people who are you know um uh um like Hasidic Jews it's not uncommon for those people to live in the same neighborhoods especially in New York it's not uncommon for people to live in um you know similar types of areas because of you know, different cultural reasons. Um, you know, the black people are living in the areas where they're living um, for multiple reasons. And then, you know, you have Jewish people alongside them living in these areas where it's like, you know, there's a, a large Jewish population, a large black population. Um, and, you know, when I've seen the Chabad centers, it's, you know, yeah, the people worshiping aren't necessarily black people. There's mostly white Jewish people there. Um, mostly. That's the, that's the majority. If you just look at the sea of people, that's mostly what you see. Um, and then the people who are actually there, you know, that are getting support, um, there are a lot of black people there. And so that was one thing that I noticed when I was seeing, like, um, the Chabad centers and, like, what they were helping with, um, people help getting help with substances, with housing, with health care, with all kinds of things. Um, I was like, yeah, I like, I like this, you know? Um, but yeah, it was near that time, uh, near that time period. And, um... Yeah, they usually give so much money, like, every every telethon. I'm, I'm like, shocked at how much money um, gets given. Um, and it seems like it all goes to very... Uh, people who are in a lot of need. So, fast-forwarding all the way to this Rabbi Manus Friedman uh, interview on Living L'Chaim... They start talking about, um, you know, who's the money for? Like, when you're given money, who's the money for? And so if a person's not religious, I don't know how how they would take this video. Like, how, 
the information might resonate with them. Uh, but some of the ideas uh, so far just seem really complex. Um, and I, I'm just trying to present some of the ideas that I found interesting, but not necessarily uh, putting my opinions into it because it's, you know... Uh, it's not really my place to be opinionated about this kind of stuff. Um, like, who am I to tell people what to do with their with their money? Like, what do I know? Um, so, yeah. So, basically, he starts talking about, you know, the difference between back in the day versus current day. So, back in the day, people used to work. And, you know, they used to pray a lot, too. They would be religious people who would work. And, you know, they would concentrate on their religion. And they were provided for uh, financially, you know, whether it's a door knocking or what. Like, people would have a job and they would be, you know, religious and they would pray and they would get what they needed and that eventually turns into you know today where people have careers and so the career he was saying is pretty different from just like before where people had like the job the career is you know more um you know there's usually not always but there can be a corporation involved so it's not just you by yourself doing your skill uh, providing a service and getting customers, not necessarily. Um, you are usually working uh, for some kind of site where they're usually going to provide you with, you know, income. And it's very strategic, very planned. You know what you need to do. Like the most organized of places you know what to do. Everyone has a task. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a label and they know what to do for how many hours. You can tell if you're doing it or not doing it. Um, and that's pretty much how work goes. Um, comparing that to, you know, beforehand where it, it was your own effort that you put in but you couldn't necessarily maybe predict, like, if I put in this much effort, will I get back this much result? It seemed more so like it was, you know, I pray, I work, and it works out. Um, there was less security in that previous version compared to now, um, where there's more security, you know, you're under a contract usually, or you've signed some kind of a contract, uh, agreement of how much you're going to get paid and all this kind of stuff. Like it's all, uh, strategic. And, you know, then he starts talking about, you know, religion. Um, in particular, you know, of course he talks about Judaism, but, um, he starts talking about religion and how that picture kind of changes for people. Um, and then, you know, he starts talking about a lot of topics, but, um, one of them that I was finding interesting was, you know, 
who's who's the money for now that question was interesting to me um he he gives the example of people who are billionaires of like getting 200 billion dollars or something along those lines like and do those people think or feel that the money is for them is that their money um or do they have a greater responsibility with that money now this is a conversation that has come up a a lot lately maybe it's just because of what i pay attention to that you know my youtube recommendations kind of go off of this deep end but um it's not uncommon to hear people ask you know about money wealth morality giving um now in society and i'm not i'm not saying that i that i believe this um that i don't believe this version of things but in society um oftentimes we see wealthy people painted as um like villain types like uh they're wealthy like i've i've been around people who say stuff like that i've been around people who um who kind of say stuff like uh oh they're rich or like those you know or like when I would want to go hang out with certain people like at the beach at certain areas and they refer to like the ritzy areas or like you know that kind of thing or like you know they would openly talk about other people's wealth you know that person is you know rich or you know their parents are rich or whatever and it's kind of like okay that's maybe what you see because of where they can afford to live or if they've got cars or whatever but nobody really knows what's going on inside of somebody else's bank account you know like there are plenty of people who are in massive debt um that you know according to Dave Ramsey would not be rich they'd be broke and in debt you know um, I know there's this whole good debt, bad debt, you know, I'm not really going to get too much into that, but, um, there is this kind of idea that I do notice, um, that there's some, I don't know if it's considered jealousy or, um, uh, like, um, expectation for people to kind of give, uh, and I'm not saying I disagree with giving and, you know, or whatever, you know, I don't disagree with that. Um, but I mean, I, I do wonder, I do often just wonder, you know, when money rolls in, you know, you know, is that extra snowboard money go go to the mountains and go snowboarding and take a nice trip and uh go do what you want kind of money or is that you know you know you've got access to plenty of needy people go help them you know with that extra money you know go help those people um um you know, he mentions this idea of 
when you have enough, um, going and actually like what would you call it? Going out and actually using using that money uh, to give it away and having your bills covered, you know, so either, you know, your next three meals covered or your next three meals plus all your all your bills that are expected to get paid, like if you have a mortgage and all this other kind of stuff, uh, once your stuff is paid, you don't really need much more. So there is that idea, you know, once your stuff is paid, you don't really need more. Um, That's an interesting idea. I like the sound of it. I don't think I like it in practice. Um, But the thing that I do know for sure is that there's there's not such thing as having enough money. Um, Yeah, there is such thing as having enough to actually provide for your basic needs. Um, nowadays, that's really not, uh, it's really not that much money. Um, I mean, if you, if you take out, you know, what's expected to qualify for something, according to someone else's standards of qualifying for, you know, an apartment or a car and things like that, um, you really don't need to make that much money, um, if you take that out of the picture, if you take it out of the picture that you have to qualify for, um, you know, housing and transportation, uh, if you don't have to qualify, then you don't really need that much money, uh, coming in that you could live off of, um, comfortably. I mean, honestly, a single person could live off of two to three thousand dollars a month um like if you didn't have to consider you know qualifying for like a two thousand dollar apartment or whatever like but technically if you were making three thousand you could pay your two thousand dollar rent and still live off of a thousand dollars you know um that's 250 bucks um, a week for your expenses, if you consider, you know, transportation and food, I mean, that's pretty tight, that's pretty tight, like 3,000, like having an extra thousand for a month is pretty tight, it's doable, and if you cook at home, I mean, it's doable, um, now with gas prices as well, I mean, that would be like if you're spending like a tank of gas a week. Um, and so, I mean, I know like the numbers don't really add up, but you're not really saving at that point. You're not saving for retirement. You're not, you know, putting money away or, uh, saving for something unexpected. That's just to be able to kind of basically live, uh, do what you got to do. Um, and, you know, um, tend to the basics. So, I, 
I don't really know if I I don't really know what I what I think about you know people who create a major successful business um and what they do with their money. I mean, it's easy to look at like the Microsofts and the Apple and the you know those types of big corporations that are distant far away that are, you know, not near me, that I don't really know anyone who created those. Like, I don't specifically know these people personally in my life. And it's easy for me to say, okay, yeah, those people need to give away their, you know, yeah, they shouldn't have that much money. It's easier, and not that I would say that, but it is easier to say that about those major corporations uh, that don't want to pay. But I notice when I bring it closer to home, if I think about somebody like, you know, uh, a family member of mine, um, say I have a family member, say I have a, a, you know, a, um, I don't know if you would say cousin or, um, niece, nephew, um, say I have a sibling, you know, who goes to school, and I, I've seen how they, you know, did everything from the time they were in their 20s in college, and from their first apartment to, you know, building up for a small business or working for a company where they do very well, and they work their way up the ladder to a point where they're making significant money. They've done good on investing, you know, and, you know, by the time they're in their late 30s, maybe in their mid 40s, they're considered a wealthy person who's doing really great financially. Does this person have the obligation to be giving to the rest of the family? Um, Does this person have the obligation to be giving the charity do I think that they should only be able to eat their meals and pay for their car and pay for their small house where they're single and don't need more space so they can just have a small apartment and give the give away all the rest of their wealth um do I think that what I mean when it's closer to home mm, I don't really think I don't really think that way, you know. And I just I'm talking about my own beliefs. I'm not saying anybody else's. But when I, when the idea does get closer to home, when I think about my family members, or I think about friends of mine who have gone through a lot of like rigorous school programs. I know a lot of people who were pre med or uh, became like nurse anesthetists and you know, have a doctorate and, you know, people who I know trying to start a business or people who I know in the military becoming officers and, you know, they can retire, you know, all that they went through, you know, and other people too, but all that they went through, do I think, you know, at the end of the day, once they've made it to where they want, where they have their house, they have their car, they have their everything that they're looking for, um, just because they're wealthy or just because maybe they're going to come out making six figures, do they need to give away that money? 
um, I, I don't know if that sounds like something that needs to happen. Now, if they do, would I be surprised? No. Um, because I know a lot of generous people, and I'm not talking give it to me, I'm just saying, like, you know, the more I see it closer to home, it's harder to think, okay, like, yeah, these people need to be giving away all their wealth. Um, it's easy to say that about corporations where I drive by and see, like, a building on the side of the freeway, or I'm like, this corporation, that corporation, this big company, um, worldwide big companies, it's easy to say it that way, but then if I have friends or family who are wealthy, it's not very easy to say that, but then I do notice, you know, just from general society that I, you know, have hung around with people who do kind of make those comments about other people's money. Now, I don't know what they expect other people to do, with their money, that's not something that I've heard. Um, but I specifically remember, you know, being around people who were uh, pretty, I don't know if you want to call it judgmental. I don't want to call it judgmental. Uh, they were just kind of often pointing out you know, maybe like where my family lives and that, you know, my family technically isn't like broke. We'll just put it that way. Um, and, you know, they were comparing the neighborhood to other neighborhoods where other people they know are from or where other friends that we were from, uh, other people that we kind of knew, they were kind of comparing in some weird way, like, kind of like, oh, like, your family lives over here, your family, and in my head, I was like, I'm in college, I'm in grad school, I don't have any money, you know, (laughs) and, like, I would have these jobs where I would have spending money, um, but I didn't really have money like that, and I remember uh, a couple of these friends were getting married, they had a, a wedding in Hawaii, and I remember them being like, surprised that I couldn't come to the wedding because I had called ahead I had um you know called in advance to the to the place where um I think they were getting married at like a school or something and I called in advance to go to the to uh talk to the school and see how much it was going to cost for the lodging every day and for food options and all like I was trying to crunch the numbers and see if I could make this trip and at the time you know I was newly out of grad school and my first loan payments were going to be coming due uh, for student loans and I was like you know I can't really afford to take this like trip that you know is going to cost me over $500 after the plane ticket you know, um, even if I stayed maybe three to four days, uh, like everybody else was going to do, I'm just not going to be able to cut it, you know, um, and so they kind of left it at that, and were kind of like, all right, well, you know, but they were surprised, they were like, what do you mean you can't make it, and I know what they meant, because they were like, well, why don't you just ask your parents to pay, you know, 
And I was just kind of like, I don't think you guys understand that that's not really how I do things, you know? It's like, I have my money, I work, you know, I spend my money on extracurricular type of things. Like, if I want to go to Hawaii, I'm not going to have my parents pay for it. Now, if it's a family trip where it's like, you know, not my choice and people are like, come to this family member's wedding, this distant relative that you don't even really know... If they offer to pay, of course I'm going to pay. Or if they ask me to go and I can't afford it, I'm going to be like, I can't afford I can't afford that, you know. But otherwise, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, like, ask somebody to be paying for me for stuff. Um, if it's not a necessity, um, I'm not going to ask for that. So, I don't really know, um... what what people kind of think about those types of topics but I do know that I've definitely experienced people firsthand just being like oh well if your family has money like why don't you just ask them for money all the time it's kind of like that you know like that's their money you know (laughs) like I don't really think like that like I don't really think like like I should ask them for money if I, if I want something, you know, I don't know. I mean, I never really was thinking that way. Um, and then if I look at people like, um, like people that everyone knows I follow, like Biaheza, Graham Stephan, those guys, you know, and seeing how they've been online and built themselves to become multimillionaires, uh, Beheza before he was 20, uh, Graham Stephan, uh, before his thirties, um, you know, seeing where they came from, uh, I mean, Beheza did some college, I don't know if he graduated yet, um, he seemed like he was interested in school, uh, Graham Stephan, uh, didn't go to college, you know, a lot of these guys kind of like, you know, we're going the typical route and then found the route that, you know, was going to make the money. Uh, but, you know, hearing about what they tried and their successes and, uh, things that didn't work out and the trial and error and just the, the, the way that they saved when they started making their first money and not just like blowing it and reinvesting in their own companies and businesses and stuff. I mean, I can see how they're where they're at, you know, they didn't take a traditional route, but they basically did something and figured out something that worked, that's still working for them, and they have to change every now and then. Um, but yeah, I do hear that idea a lot, though. I do. That does come up a lot. The idea of let's, you know, let's. Um, just the whole idea of, you know, let's talk about, um, let's talk about kind of, uh, you know, 
do they do they owe everybody money because of all the work and effort that they put in um I mean, they have classes where you can take their classes and you can basically learn to do what they do. Um, And people have proven that what they do works. So why not just go do what they did? You know, um, I don't really hear them talking about people asking them for money. But one thing I found interesting was on a recent episode of Iced Coffee Hour... Uh, with Graham and Jack, that podcast, they talk about, you know, they talk, they interview um, successful people, people who are financially wealthy. They interviewed these financially wealthy um, uh, basketball players um, who are now retired and have their own businesses and everything on the side. And they interviewed these two and they were asking them, you know, they were like, um, you know, cause I, you know, I, I don't see a lot of, uh, interviews from people who became wealthy that were raised in maybe like an inner city kind of neighborhood. Um, and you know, didn't grow up in a wealthy neighborhood or with wealthy neighbors or with a wealthy school around or with a wealthy church, you know, social life. Um, that's not something that I see often. Like usually when you see people, you know, it's like usually, you know, it's not people who were coming from extreme poverty uh, being exposed to all types of, you know, violence and, you know, uh, illicit type of activities and things going on around their neighborhoods. Um, usually that's not what I'm, what I'm used to seeing. Um, usually, you know, I, I watch a lot of interviews of people just walking up to people on the street in certain nice neighborhoods, like, Huntington Beach or Newport or certain areas of New York, certain areas of LA, like Beverly Hills or whatever. And they'll walk up to random strangers and like ask them, okay, what do you do for a living? You know, and there's a lot of people who talk real estate. There's a lot of people who talk about, um, you know, just, you can watch those videos. There's a lot of different themes that you see coming up. People working in tech, people working in uh, having like real estate properties invested investments and stuff like that um you can see kind of some trends out there of how people kind of build themselves up uh f- as far as like their wealth um but one thing you know you don't really see often is the interviews of the people who uh weren't raised in wealthy neighborhoods um, so that's what I found interesting about about this, you know, because um, not that long ago, Living L'Chaim had an interview about, you know, I mean, it's, I got to tread lightly on this one. It's it's one of those controversial topics. So about Jewish wealth, Judaism and wealth, Jewish 
well, I don't want to say Judaism necessarily, like as a religion, but people who are of Jewish heritage and wealth, um, like, um, wealth, um, so, yeah, so they were talking about the the people who were on the covers of Forbes and all these different uh people who were who were wealthy and how there's a large percentage of them that are Jewish and why that is um so there's a lot of uh there's books about this a lot of things about this um but then I was wondering too I was like okay take those ideas and then ask you know if you look at people who were raised in maybe uh impoverished areas and you know those people who do become wealthy out of those areas uh what happens to them compared to you know or how do they get there compared to um how did the the Jewish people get to their wealthy stages. Um, there's this interview with Lex Friedman and Kanye West where Kanye is talking about a very controversial topic where he starts using this phrase saying Jewish media, Jewish media, Jewish media. And Lex is like, you can't say that. Like that you know, propagates hate. It you know, is a very prejudiced method of thinking. And of course, Kanye doesn't back down from this because from Kanye's perspective, he's saying, how many times in the record business did I get screwed out of deals by people that happened to be Jewish? How many times did I have different people who were heads of my company and heads of different aspects of my companies and things that were all just happening to be Jewish people that were all meeting together and you know they got paid at the end of a of a of a tour but where's his where's Kanye's money you know like how did it come out that you know there's all these bad contracts being written up and you know that a lot of the people in the businesses tended to be Jewish people um i think that right there is just something of its own to study um cuz if you think about it it's like okay, um, that's not a phrase that I have never heard. Um, it's not an idea that I've never heard. I mean, before I even knew too much about Jewish people, um, you know, that was something that I had somewhere heard about or learned about stereotypically about Jewish people and having money. I don't even know where that idea first came from, um, I'm trying to think of where I first even heard an idea like that. I know when I was a kid, I was really into Chaim Potok books, like from the time I was in high school. Um, and I was into Judaism, like Jewish culture as like the as Judaism, like the religion. Um, and I do remember making a comment to somebody um saying something along the lines of 
um, Jewish people being either blessed or something, you know, and I didn't, I don't know what I was trying to get at or how I was wording it. I remember who I sent the message to, um, cause there was a, a friend or I don't know, you know, you sometimes have the, have these obnoxious friends. Like I have this friend that was like, kind of one of those like hard ass kind of people to know that everybody was kind of like always in some kind of debate or and drama with that I kind of just had to learn to accept them for who they were and how they were um you know they were never really intentionally trying to like cause harm at least to my end of things but they were just you know they would they would push buttons with people um and you know uh, this person was very intelligent and was just not humble about it at all. <laughs> like, they were just very, like, they'd walk around just being like, well, I'm a genius, you know? <laughs> and you're like, well, I know you are, you know? <laughs> but things like that, you know? They would just pick at, at things, at the way people would talk with their grammar and just, like, try to make people feel stupid. But at the same time, it's like, you know, they kind of took a few of us under their wing and we would kind of talk. And then this person eventually moved. Um, and like they would create these game nights all the time and stuff. And then eventually they moved, I think got married and moved or something like that. So they get married, they move, uh, they, you know, and me and them kept in touch by email. Um, and I remember, replying to them in some email mentioning that um something about you know Jewish people and wealth um I just I don't remember the conversation I mean this was this probably is over 20 years ago I don't remember the conversation at all but at least before 20 years ago I had this idea in my mind um that I always thought, you know, in my head, I always kind of thought that it was like a, um, it was a, um, like a positive stereotype, almost how when people say like with different Asian groups of people, like the model minority, you know, like, yeah, there are minority groups, but, you know, instead of being like the Latinos or being like the blacks or being, you know, they, they come in and, you know, uh, use a lot of studious behaviors to kind of get where they're, where they're going. So they tend to do really well in school on average. And then you see, you know, a lot of people in these major, uh, and good universities kind of working their way to where they want to be through school or making a small business. Um, and those are two things that you see in a lot of different types of Asian cultures um, that they kind of found their way through the system. And I think in that same way, you know, in like with Jewish people, they found their way through the system, through the system in a certain method. Um, so there's the education route. It just happens to be that a lot of Asians took that route of education, higher education, do well in school, uh, you know, practice a good work ethic and make it to the top. And you have, you know, 
from what it seems like on the side with Jewish people is, you know, make a business, make a business that you run, that you own, um, that you can hire other people and you're the boss, you know, you're the head of a record label, you're the head of, um, you know, uh, a franchise, you know, you're the head of, you know, an entertainment, you know, um, publication, you're the head of, you know, you're the head of it, you're the head, you started it, you're the head of this thing, um, that'll put you at the top, because now you've got other people working for you that are making money for your business, um, and I feel like black people, I'm not saying as a whole, I'm not, I mean, this, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, busting out stereotypes here so just bear with me um if I take the basketball uh uh interview for example it seems like you know so people are trained from from childhood right they're trained from when they're a kid um so if I'm an Asian kid I mean, I'm just being really stereotypical right now. If I'm an Asian kid, my parents are, are it's not going to be uncommon to have parents telling me to study all the time, to providing environments for me to study all the time, to get to and from the library, to live in a neighborhood where I can actually study and focus, have a bedroom or, a, 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 you know, a library area where I can actually sit and get my homework done and my schoolwork done and my papers done and you know the household would be prepared for that um if I'm you know um a black kid and I happen to live in a neighborhood where there's not a lot of opportunities but you do it's not uncommon that you see a lot of black kids in you know, um, uh, like, I don't want to call it entertainment, but I would say like, uh, kind of almost entertainment. Like if you think about sports, you know, playing, playing sports isn't something that is uncommon to see in black neighborhoods, being part of a church and singing and, you know, being involved musically in a church on a regular basis. I mean, I think just in general, just the training up of a person from youth, you know, kind of guides them where they're going to be able to go. Like, why are there so many black NBA players? Why are there so many, you know, black R&B artists and black rappers? And, you know, why are they more skilled at it than other people might be in general? You know, because they're raised to be doing it. Um, if I want to take this off of the prejudice mark and look at K-pop, you know, these are kids that are trained from a very young age to be singing and dancing and rapping and, you know, they could be competitive with black groups, with black music groups, um, you know, you could say that they have soul, that they have, you know, um, that they have 
yeah, you could say that they have soul, that they have rhythm. Um, if you look at a lot of Caucasian kids, I mean, they're not as a whole being brought up, you know, going to church three, four times a week, going to choir practice two, two times a week, being around, you know, drummers, singers, gospel music, uh, places where you're going to be dancing all the time. And then stereotypically people say, you know, they've got no rhythm, they can't carry a tune, you know, but they weren't raised doing these things. Just like, you know, it, you know, you don't see a lot of Asian people in the NBA, you don't see a lot of Asian people in football. Um, well, you do see like Polynesian uh, people, if you call like Pacific Islanders, Asians, um, I don't know, some people do, I don't, I don't really know where that starts or stops or what, but, um, I guess, it, to me, it always seems like a Pacific Island, like, indigenous background, but I, I never really knew, like, if they're considered Asians or what, um, because, like, I guess Japanese people don't call themselves Pacific Islanders, so I don't know, but, um, but anyways, um, like I'm not here to like try and make a bunch of stereotypes. I'm basically just trying to make a point that if you're raised around anything, um, you're going to have the opportunity in your environment to be able to at least practice that on a very regular basis. And if you're a kid and it's free for you, you know, to be able to practice this, then it would make sense that as an adult, if there's an avenue to take this route that you've been doing since you were like four or five years old all the way up until you're older um you get better you know you're skilled at, at a certain age and um I think it's more so that in my opinion that kind of seems more so like what's going on is not necessarily like the black people don't have this and the you know the white people don't have that and then the white jewish people and then the you know the asian people i don't think it's so much that as it is you know how people are raised as a kid now not every asian person is raised you know having to study all the time not every black person is raised in the church singing in a choir or on the basketball court like uh, playing basketball or playing football with their friends. Not every, you know, um, you know, Jewish person is raised, you know, to be like a, a business tycoon or anything. Um, but you do see those themes. I mean, it's it's clear as day to me that those themes do exist. Um, but another thing that you see on top of those themes is what do people do with the money once they are successful in their careers? What do they do with their money? Um, what do they do? So it seems like, you know, in some, I can't think of every culture, but, uh, say for example, if going back to the stereotypes, if I'm a Korean person, come to this country, open up a let's like keep the stereotype strong, open up a you know um, a nail salon, um, 
you know, have a successful small spa business. Um, and use some of my money to help other family members uh, come to the U.S. Um, to create um, their own generational wealth by opening up their own small business um, or large business, a store, um, right? I mean... I don't know. I don't know. I've I've shopped. I mean, people know I was raised in LA. I've shopped at plenty of places where I've gone in and the owners of the place, you know, or the whoever's the 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 front of the store or the face of the store, you know, they don't even speak like very fluent English. I'm not just talking about Koreans I'm just saying like I've shopped at plenty of places where I was the one speaking English that was fluent in English and I'm like how's somebody running a store if they don't speak fluent English like that was always something that came to my mind I was like you know the same thing came to my mind with the SATs and with some courses I'd be in classes sometimes with people where I'd be like you know, they're dominating the scores in these classes, you know, where it would be graded on a curve and stuff like that. And I'd be like, how are these kids doing better than me? They don't even know how to speak English. You know, that wasn't uncommon. I, for me, these types of things were not uncommon. So I think, you know, um, there are a lot of big questions here that I just really can't answer. And I really just, I can go on and on and on about this stuff forever. But it's just food for thought, right? It's like, if I can live in a neighborhood where people don't speak English and they can still do better than a native English-speaking person, I mean, something's up, you know? Something's up. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not, and I'm not saying that they don't, that's not rightfully deserved. I'm not saying that they're manipulating a system. I'm not saying, like, they need to give what they have to people who can't figure it out or that they need to give what they have to someone who's not as wealthy. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, you know, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to see people that you look and you're like, how's this person running the store? You know, like I'm asking like basic questions and it's like, like not even to be mad at it. I'm just saying like, you know, is it not a riddle? You know, like how how does somebody run a store? They're there every day. I used to shop at this uh Japanese like stationery and manga shop. It would have like these really cute um like notebooks and like imports from like Japan. These cute like notebooks, magazines, books, uh like different types of like colorful paper, drawing paper, artistic types of uh like paints and pens and pencils and stuff like that. It was a stationery store basically that sold it was a bookstore that sold that sold stationery. Not one time that I went in there did this person ever speak English to me. Everyone who was ever behind the desk only spoke Japanese. Um if I asked them a question nobody knew what I was saying. Like it was fine. Like it was fine. You know, nothing was a problem too much. Um, but it's like, 
that's the type of place I was raised in, where it's like, you know, I'd have classes with the people who would own the shops and have classes with their kids and their kids would be acing all their classes. They'd be sleeping through the class because they'd be up all night studying and they'd be wake, you know, they'd be up at night, um, not just studying, but um, they'd be, you know, like going to other schools um uh like kumon and other types of you know uh language classes like korean types of uh schools like tutoring sessions and things like that you know and i'm thinking like these kids are acing all their classes they're getting like stellar you know sat prep scores and you know, there's something that they're doing right that the other people aren't doing, you know, who aren't getting those scores, who aren't getting those grades. There's something different that they're doing, right? And I saw it at an early age. I saw it when I was in school from like third grade and up from, you know, pretty much my third grade year, all through elementary, through junior high, through high school. Even once I got to university, it was the same theme. You know, I would I would be there, you know, with the same uh people who by that point you know I think everyone kind of knew English by college but I definitely went to high school with plenty of kids who did not speak English and you know but they did really well in their classes so it's like you know something something is right you know something's going right um I'm not sure how hard I mean that must be a hard experience I don't you know I don't doubt that they weren't probably, like, depressed or lonely or, like, suffering in other ways, but, you know, um, I'm pretty sure they were successful on the financial end. Um, And, yeah, there were a lot of racial groups that were left out of that picture. You know, when I saw that, I was like, okay, but these are the people that I see doing this. I don't see any of these other people doing it. You know, I don't see any of these other people in my schools or even in my neighborhoods, you know. Um, They just weren't there. They didn't exist. So that was kind of how I kind of saw things. um, Why I kind of saw... That was just kind of how I, I... kind of was thinking about, you know, a lot of this stuff starts from childhood. Um, one thing I found really interesting about the um, the basketball players when they were talking is they mentioned um, you know, what, what did they say? They said that it was hard, you know, like some of them talked about experiences of, you know, blowing their money when they first got, you know, 25K and spent almost all of it, you know, or, you know, buying stuff for other people, paying other people's bills and stuff like that. Um, I don't see that. I don't know. Maybe they're just the ones talking about it, but I haven't. I, I know that you know they did talk about financial literacy and trends around those those ends of things and you know you don't see that in like every culture um 
so yeah, that's that's just kind of one thing that I kind of noticed. Um, kind of those three um, different ideas and topics. Um, <clears throat> and there's this video I've been looking for for like a long time that I wanted to rewatch because it was a video of um, one of these uh, wealthy guys. I can't remember what city. I want to say they were in New York, but I, I don't know what city they were in. Um, and he's out there, I guess, as as part of the 1%. And he's talking about, you know, letting anybody talk about, you know, uh, a crowd around him. Letting anybody chime in to talk about um, finance. And, you know, there was this big, you know, there were mostly minorities around, from what I recall. Um, and if it wasn't ethnic minorities, it was people who were, you know, nobody was really on the, the 1%, the one of the 1%. Um, and so he starts talking, um, he starts to speak about these different ideas about, you know, corporations and his idea overall was that these corporations provide jobs for other people. Um, and there was this big conversation about should they get taxed? You know, California is very a very high tax state. Um, there are a lot of people who are like millionaires who do talk about like, okay, like 50% of their money is just like down the drain. Um, so with them talking about these things, you know, it's like, well, what's the incentive to keep these big businesses in cities where the tax is so extreme? Um, and then other people who were not wealthy were saying, you guys need to get taxed. You know, these big businesses need to get taxed because we get taxed. So they need to get taxed. They need to get taxed heavier than everybody else. Um, but then the other question becomes, well, what's the incentive for them to stay if they start getting taxed so heavily? And then there's this idea of, okay, they're wealthy. They need to give. You have the money. You have the know-how. You need to give. And he says, you know, I do give by creating jobs and I create you know, a system where people can work. Um, and of course, you know, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> That's not a good enough answer for some of the people. There were like, no. Um, so, um, that's just kind of something that I that I kind of was noticing um so other than that other uh video I can put links in the description for the let me just look it up while I'm doing this right now for this um what is it called iced coffee hour video <clears throat> Um, 
and yeah i I did find that to be a little different um of a video with the ice coffee hour video um I found it to be a little bit different because. Um, they were talking about their different businesses that they had and kind of how they came from from a background where they weren't taught about um, how to, you know, maximize your wealth. They weren't taught that. So um, it was kind of a different perspective because usually on the iced coffee hour it's usually younger people, and even if it's not younger people, it's people who seem like they were around, people who could advise them on what to do with their money, or at least hold them accountable, and, you know, in this, in this episode, you know, it seems like, you know, when you're in, in an environment where there's no, you know, it was back in the 90s where people weren't even talking about financial literacy that wasn't really like a thing um and then yeah let me put the link too for that Lex Friedman um that Lex Friedman video uh with Kanye West as well because you know, it was it was interesting hearing hearing somebody say, you know, who is Jewish, you know, Lux Friedman is Jewish and um, you know, in his in his interview of Kanye West, he was definitely talking to uh and this was seven days ago, uh it was seven days ago when the interview occurred. And, you know, Kanye was talking about how he's the wealthiest musician ever you know, um, and, you know, Lex was talking about, you know, well, you know, some solutions could potentially be, um, you know, you create the company, you create a better version of the company that's not screwing people over, you create that, you create that better company, um, And I don't I don't know, like that's kinda how I see it. I could be wrong, but um you know, you can go the stereotype route and see all these different kind of things, but I mean I, I'm looking more so at uh potential for trends, not you know, I hope it wasn't offensive saying all this stuff about like different racial groups and stuff, but it's like I mean it's right in front of our faces, I think, too, you know, and I'm not trying to say, like, who should or shouldn't have money, it's like, but if you follow a certain path, yeah, the color of your skin's definitely gonna have an impact, you know, like, I'm a very dark-skinned person, and I know that, that I do a lot better, um, online, without my face being shown, um, than I do, behind a microphone or behind a piece of paper or just blogging you know um because 
you know, people filter out, you know, they filter out, um, based on kind of what a person looks like racially. Um, I know that that's the thing. I'm aware of it. And, you know, at work and in my professional life is definitely worked in my favor to, you know, get a foot in the door without having to be seen first. Like, I don't lie on my resumes or anything, but there's nothing on there that, you know, I mean, the neighborhoods, most of the neighborhood addresses where I'm from, uh, the neighborhood addresses have, you know, they're not like predominantly black neighborhoods. Not, I'm not saying that's like a good or bad thing. I'm just saying like, there's, you know, it's not like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with living in South Central. It's fine. I like, I like the city of South Central, but, um, if, if I put South Central on there, that might be a little bit different than, putting a different city on there where people wouldn't know for sure where I'm from um versus putting like Inglewood or versus putting Beverly Hills I mean in LA you can just put LA you don't really have to put those types of things but it's like you could put that um as an address um you could put that as an address you could put uh, like yeah I don't unless I really have to I don't really put my gender for things I mean my name is you know a female name my last name isn't identifiable specifically as any type of uh, ethnicity unless you're like a linguist you probably would never know where my last name is from And so, you know, um, there's definitely a lot that on paper, there's nothing that really identifies me as like a certain race, unless you see a picture of me, then obviously, but I mean, like, if I can get my foot in the door through a resume with just people generally stereotyping their way through what my resume looks like and where I went to school and where my addresses are and things like that. Nobody's going to assume I'm a black person, you know? Uh, And I can't say that that does or doesn't work in my favor, but um, I've noticed with work as far as like with helping clients um, they talk to me differently because they don't know that I'm a black person. Um, there's a lot of things that I hear people say. I've heard a lot of prejudice related comments from people who assumed I wasn't black and were kind of just saying all sorts of stuff to me, not about my race, but, you know, they'd say stuff about, you know, other races or black people in general or whatever. And, you know, I've heard people say how they called certain black family members of theirs the N-word and stuff like that. And I'm just like, okay, like, you know, like I'm in the middle of a therapy session on the phone with this person who's telling me that. So I'm just like, okay, I'll leave it. 
you know, because they're just speaking out of anger. But then when they meet me, they're like, oh, shoot. And that's kind of what comes to their mind. They're like, oh, I was talking to you like that. You know, I was I was seeing that word on the phone and you were on the other line and you heard, you know, and it's kind of like, I know, I know, like you weren't saying it to me. But even to this day, you know, the same people still kind of make those comments of like, I would never say that. I only said it out of anger to this one person and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I know, I know, like, I'm not like, like, whatever you can, but I know people say that word, you know, I know people say it, you know, um, I've, you know, heard people say other stuff about, um, like people with dreadlocks, for example, like I don't have dreadlocks, but, uh, I don't have dreads, but about, you know, how they, somebody they worked with was newly hired that had, that was a white lady with dreads and how they thought that looked unprofessional or how there's certain places where they don't go because they're like, oh, they hate them because, you know, they don't want to go to like a, a, you know, they don't want to work with certain doctor sites of certain races uh, because they feel discriminated against. And so they decline to see Asian providers. They decline to see um, different races. All they say is that they want to see like white um, and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, <laughs> but I mean, everyone has their preferences. Everyone, you know, people have the right to their own preferences of what they want but I do notice that people do treat me differently through work um I'm treated differently by clients who don't know where I'm from who don't know you know where I'm from or where I've lived or um anything (laughs) like they don't know my race they don't know anything and so they tend to get a little, um, um, I don't know what the word is, but they tend to get a little not too, um, like, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like, people say things when they assume certain things about you. Like, when they can't assume certain things about you, sometimes they'll say other stuff. And I think we're all, we all do that, you know. Um, It's kind of hard to get out of that thinking. But I think overall, when it comes to, like, prejudice-related stuff, you know, taking it closer to home kind of does make it, make the thought processes change a little bit I noticed that you know like if I'm thinking about ultra wealthy people but if they're family or friends of mine you know the rules almost change you know uh you know because there was a part of me that before you know it's easy for me to look at these big corporations and be like they need to be giving more but then yeah when you think of how much they're taxed it's like my gosh you know like why are they even hiring anybody at all you know, or if I thought of an idea that was, um, making a significant amount of, uh, of an ROI, 
you know, does that mean that now I need to start paying people's bills for them? You know, it's like, I don't know, you know, like I, you know, I kind of keep my money to myself, but that is one thing that definitely worries me is that if I, you know, if I do get to a position, because it's happened before where I've been in a position where I've had access to fairly large amounts of money, um, where, you know, people come out of the woodworks, you know, they just start asking you for stuff, um, and come out of the freaking woodworks, and I was like, wow, like, that's pretty nuts, um, because they know you have it, and it's like, really, but I, I mean, it's been multiple times, you know, where I've dealt with people like that, where it's like, you know, they just like to use people, like, that's just kind of all it is, it's like, where are those people now, that's kind of the million dollar question, where are they now, you know, I, I don't really associate with a lot of those people like that, you know, I can kind of see through it, where it's like, okay, like, it was all good when we were hanging out, and like, you know, if I would be paying for dinner or, like, showing people a good time in a certain area that I know that's really fancy or whatever, or, you know, paying for the transportation and getting people to and from these different areas of Orange County and IE and LA and San Diego and driving people all over the place. But the second I stopped doing that, where are these people, you know, like, they don't want to hang out anymore all of a sudden. Um... You know, so you kind of notice that with some people that like they're they're kind of takers. They feel entitled entitled to other people's money. Um, I'm not saying that I'm like promoting greed, but it's also like, it, I mean, these are tricky questions. It's like, do you keep giving to those types of people? I mean, there's an ego in me that says, you know, get yours, you know, and then there's an there's another part of me that's like, yeah, I have enough, you know, like, um, like, I, I don't know if I've ever been in a position where I couldn't make money, um, even if I didn't have it, um, I, I don't, I don't know, like, I study a lot of trends, and I know how to make money, like, you know, I'm a little particular. If I'm not interested in doing something, it's really hard for me to sit and just, like, do it. I did that with school. I did that with grad school. And I spent so many years of my life doing that that I now just have zero taste for it whatsoever. Um, but I kind of get curious about that, too. Um, but... Yeah, that's kind of mostly what comes to mind. All those types of things. Um, I was never, like, fully... Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not the 1%, so, you know, you know, but, you know, when I think of it, I'm like... You know, like even when it comes to churches needing money and things like that, 
you know, I know their rent has gone up. Like, there's a church that's, like, near the beach, kind of, uh, like, close enough to the beach that you could take a nice stroll over, but it's not, like, right there. Like, it would, it would involve some walking, uh, maybe, like, three, four blocks from the beach. Um, you know, nice place and everything. Um... But, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, if there's a church that's not really affirming to people, if they exclude people, if they're discriminatory, you know, you know, I I judge them and I would not want to be giving them money. Um, I feel that way about some other church, some other groups, too, um, where... You know, you don't know where the money's going. Like, I worry about that. I worry to not know where the money's going. Um, so, I don't know. And I, I guess that's maybe not supposed to be the business of people who are giving. You know, it's like a faithful gesture. It has nothing to really do with the church itself, I don't think, but, you know, um, it is a little odd, like, everybody's struggling financially right now, uh, most people are having to make changes in their finances, at the very least, you know, um, so I don't really know, like, I, I can't really say that I fully know, um, who's doing what or trying what, where, when, and how. Um, I can't really, really fully say, you know, um, kind of, you know, what I really, what I really think about that too much, um, in churches, you know, they have a mortgage, they have a staff, um, they have all kinds of expenses, they have a budget, and I don't really know, like, I don't really know, um, what to really think, um, and I'm not really here to tell other people what to think, but I mean, all of these things are kind of just, you know, interesting topics, especially when it comes into ethnicity and wealth and racial topics and kind of trends, and even if you throw religion in there, um, there's just a lot <laughs> there's just a lot to uh unpack and i always start with books um you know um and i you know I don't know. I don't want to go into all the conspiracy thinking of things, but, um, 
think about it, think about it. I know, like, I'm not trying to be offensive on here, but, you know, I know a lot of what I'm saying is, you know, definitely going to come across as, like, prejudice and very small thinking. But, you know, there's always going to be the exception to the rule. I mean, I can talk about black people all I want. My family's an exception to the rule. You know, we don't meet any of the stereotypes, you know, so I... You know, like I always say, I joke with my friends and I say, like, on paper, I don't seem like a black person. Like, if you don't have a picture of me there, there's no way you would, like, assume. Uh, Most people assume I'm Asian because of where my address is, because of where I've gone to school, because of hobbies that I'm interested in. But. Anyways, um. But I got some stuff I gotta get to, but for now, thanks for listening.